0: Good morning and welcome everybody. You're listening to The Breakfast Show on Faith FM, 87.6, 87.8 or 88, right across Australia, right across the Faith FM network, wherever you are. Positively different radio in the morning, you're with the double L team, Laland. and Lawson. Lawson, I'm feeling sad this morning. Why? I'm just sad. Good. For you. Why? Because you just missed out. Oh, uh, I get lost. Are you going to talk about the country?
1: Out. and You
0: just missed out big time. Western Youth Master was amazing and Lawson wasn't there. Yeah. it's just He has a sad life. I had an amazing weekend. You did not. I had, like, literally you had such an incredible weekend. weekend. Compared to my weekend, if we put your weekend compared to my weekend, put those two weekends side by side, yours was just lame. No like that. No. <laughs> actually there is kind of a live
1: aspect to my weekend. Like, no, because I had a great weekend, you know, went to went to church, spent time with my friends, um, you know, went to brunch yesterday, like just just had an awesome weekend. Um and then I woke up this morning, I turned my car on and the check engine light was on. And I was like, Well, uh, I just turned it off and luckily this is actually what I'm grateful for is that my dad is away and I was like, Oh, I'll just take his car. And so I—that's cool. I drove my dad's car. I think it's like, well, it's like not just the check engine light. It's like the check engine light and a couple other things, like beeping. And I think all of that means like low oil pressure. So I'm just gonna fill it up with some oil. So is
0: the is the oil light on?
1: No. Then you should be okay. No, but it's it's a Subaru. It you know yeah. it does it no. does strange things. You're listening to the Breakfast Show podcast on Faith FM. Positively different.
0: It is The Breakfast Show here on Faith FM, which means we're about to have a clue for our quiz, and Lawson is going to bring it to you. Okay, our first clue for the quiz.
1: Who am I? At the age of 62, I took over as King after Belshazzar was slain 0491 is the number to call or text if you know who this is and if you do know guys you will go in the draw to win a prize that is fantastic it's amazing it's actually two prizes it is two revived cafe cookbooks editions 5 and 6 now we had Jeremy Dixon on the show last week and we're going to have him on the show continually to talk about the amazing recipes and foods and all the awesome things that he's doing, but that is very much reflected in the books that he writes. And um, actually, <laughs> I, I always make a lot of people from, you know, my, my church community jealous by telling them I get to talk to Jeremy Dix. I'm like, yeah, me and Jeremy, we're best friends. We speak on radio. Um, and they're like, what? Because, you know, the majority of the food that we eat at my church is like vegan and it all comes from these books. Like if you, th- I'll, I'll be going through and sharing some different recipes that you can get from these books but the first ones that i have here highlighted you can this book uh these books will tell you how to make grilled cauliflower steaks and melt in your mouth, not turkey. Now, anything that melts in my mouth and that I assume tastes really nice and amazing um, and is vegan is worth eating. So, 0491 064 669 is the number to call. Again, that first clue was, at the age of 62, I took over as king after Belshazzar was slain. And make sure when you call or text in, you say, may I enter the quiz and you will be entered the draw to win. It will be drawn at the end of the week.
0: There you go. That's, Get a, that's a very exciting cookbook. Uh, uh, what should I say? A very exciting prize. Yes. Particularly for Lawson. Yeah. For people who like, well, I can't win it. Yeah, that's right. I'm but like, you're excited to give it away.
1: I'm like, I'm like <laughs> texting everyone from my church, like, hey, hey, I'll t- like telling them the answer. So- no, I'm not actually. Saying that. But that's what that's no, what I I'm, what I'm tempted, to do, to, tempted to do is to text them and say, hey, this is the answer. You should, you know, win these cookbooks for me. Uh, anyways, hey, let's have a look at some positively different news this morning. And this, I want to talk about a a, a local story, an Australian, an Australian, Australian good news story about people coming from far and wide, coming here to ext- coming here to Australia, um, and having the experience of yeah, being able to like this is this is the perfect storm of a story like to provide for themselves. And yes, others yes. to uh, kind of be invested in their own culture that they bring from another place. Yes. Uh, yeah, to just be living the Australian dream. And that is the story of a group of families from Myanmar who came over. They were a group of Mian- like Myanmar like refugees, um, who came over here in twenty thirteen and have now formed a collective that has gotten together, has like sorted out land and sorted out themselves as a non for profit, and are now Selling their produce uh, here in Australia. That's cool. Which is amazing. So they have like a really awesome story. It starts with a guy, and his name is Ting Sai Manring. I hope I pronounce correctly. Um, Ting Sai Maori, I'm just going to call him Ting. So Ting came over here in 2013 um and, you know, his farming, his background is like farming, you know, on the hills of Burma uh in Myanmar. I imagine that would be a lot different to the kind of farm we would do That's here. right. And we'll get to that in a little bit too. But, yeah, he comes to Australia as a refugee fleeing the country and picks up work immediately in the local, you know, blueberry pickers or whatever because it's like, the closest, like he's a farmer back home. That's he doesn't own land yes. here in Australia, yes. so that's just the closest to what he knows. He's like, oh, I'm, I'm doing something that is farming adjacent, and he's providing for his family and whatnot. But then, uh, for for him and and other people in the like mian, mian Mies? is that what? Just you call it? Burmese. We know you do Bur, Burmese in the in the Burmese family, uh, in the Burmese community here in Australia, they're like, oh man, like how how? Not only do we access like Burmese food. Uh, because like it's few and far between in Australia, uh, but secondarily, like yeah, how can we prop ourselves up and um, provide for our communities? You know how you know um, how do we get into the farming industry as re- like poor refugees who have come mm-hmm. over here to mm-hmm. Australia?
0: Uh, because there's lots of things that you need to do to get into the farming industry, yes. like owning land and particularly to be competitive in Australia. Mm. You know, you can, with a lot of these developing countries, you can be a subsistence farmer, you can provide, you know, produce for your local community and you can do, you know, you you can, you can do that. Mm. Here in Australia, to be competitive, you've got to have some machinery, you've got to have a higher level of efficiency Mm. that is going to cost, uh, have a much higher cost, initial cost set up. That's right. And
1: so, for them, they're like, okay, what do we do? And they, they want to start small scale because I, for them, their target is, oh, we want to bring, like, Burmese food to Australia, which is something that not a lot of people are doing.
0: Mm, I can L- see Lawson's mind ticking over right here. Like, Burmese food. Yes. Yes. Got to try oh, that. it's
1: fantastic. Um, but yeah, just like specific vegetables from that area. Uh, but anyways, they this this group of five families got together and they approached a non for profit organization called the Settlement Services Settlement Services International. Um, just with the proposition that hey, we want to make start our own non for profit, you know, farming company, uh, for our community and you know provide produce and do all these different things. But yeah, you know, how do we how do we go about that? We're, we're refugees we've come to Australia we're all working you know relatively kind of yeah obscure jobs right now all over the place like how do we how do we get into that and basically this group hooked them up uh, with a guy named Joshua Allen in Coffs Harbour he's like living he's got like a a 14 hectare um, block of land uh, yeah 20 minutes out of the north coast of yeah 20 minutes out of Coffs Harbour and they were like this guy Joshua Allen thankfully was like hey You guys can come and set up on my land. I've got, you know, this extra part here uh, that is nice and fertile. You can come and set up, you know, put all your equipment here. They split this, uh, I believe it was an area, um, I think it was like two and a half hectare areas uh, that they split into like half hectare little like subplots for each one of these families. And they're like, yeah, each one can take this land. And you know what? Until you guys get on your feet and that time period was about 12 months. Until you guys get on your feet, you don't have to pay any rent. Either. Nice. So, like, you guys can just come in, you know, get your farm started, uh, and get growing. And that's exactly
0: what they've done. And it's that's interesting. That's amazing. And, you know, you sort of wonder, okay, what's the guy got? 14 acres or something, rather, you said? Uh, f- t- 12 hectares. 12 hectares. So, so 25 acres. Yeah. Thereabouts. You wonder how many people there are out there who have 25 acres that the land is there because, you know, they don't want to live in town. Yeah. You know, I can see myself doing that. I'd love to live on 25 acres. Yeah. But would I actually do anything with the 25 acres? I'd probably put a couple of lawnmowers on it, you know, mooing kinds or barring kinds, one (laughs) of those, you know, kinds of lawnmowers. Natural lawnmowers. But I wouldn't do anything with it apart from that. I just want that land around me so that I'm not living in town. Yeah, that's right. And I could easily make that available to some people who wanted to do a startup. And, of course, you know, they're improving the soil. Yeah. So it can't be bad. <laughs> yeah. You know, you're coming out on top. Mm-hmm. So Mm-hmm. And you're probably getting food from them too. You're probably getting – You're get And they're sk-
1: paying you rent. Well, after a year they like are. Like after a year. Yeah. Yes. So, dude, this is just like it's a l- –
0: win-win all the l- way around. It's a net win for literally everyone. Um, it's I'm, a- I'm just thinking there's probably a bunch of our listeners out there who have some lazy land. Yeah. Why don't you, why don't you see if you can do something with it like this? Find your local Burmese, uh, farmers. Yeah. And, and
1: get them on there of, you know, any other cultures around and, and get them on there to, uh, to do something with to it. To do some work. It's interesting. They said in Australia, um, the soil is, well, they actually said it's like nowhere near as good as it is in Burma. And so they've had to, you know, in their That's initial Australia. phases, uh, they've had to use, you know, fertilizers and different things, which they'd never had to use in Burma. Um, but now it's just this really like, community effort and there's like different I was, I was just reading the article about it there's like different testimonies from each one of the you know different families and you know the son and the the, the the dad and the mom and like you know sharing about their experience coming over to over to Australia and how this has enabled them to support the local Burmese community uh, the, the Australian Burmese community as well as you know set up something for their kids who will you know be Australians so
0: yeah really really amazing story yeah, that's that's really that's very positive. positive good news right there. And, mm. and 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 I just think, you know, how many how many people are there that could do something like this?
1: Totally. Yeah.
0: You know, I I know of vacant land all over the place that people own for you know, it's a lifestyle property. Yeah. I get that, I appreciate that, I'd do that myself if I could. And it just you know, why let it go to waste? Yeah, half something, a do something, hectare do something that's two acres. It's good for the land, it's good for the community, yeah, it's good for people. It's just all good, yeah. It's all good all the way around.
1: It is one hundred percent. So, yeah, that's I guess that's our appeal this morning. Be be a uh, be a landowner and uh, and let your land. I would be so used. do this. This is so awesome. Uh, yeah, if you have any thoughts, 0491 064 669 is the number to call or text. You're listening to the Breakfast Joe podcast on Faith FM. Positively different.
0: We're about to get into more serious news. Before we do, next clue for our quiz.
1: Actually, I had a text message come through. Oh, okay. Oh, like for me. There you go. Um, and it was from it was from my friend, uh, Johanna, and um, she was just bringing me to task on the way that I use words. She said that I said br- I said brang instead of brought. And she made fun of me up for it. Just she's te- awesome. She's texting me on my Facebook, and, and I was like, "Wow, you know, th- thanks, Johanna. You're the best. You're yeah. not, you know, she's awesome. She's actually. It was. So- oh,
0: I love people to give you a hard time.
1: <laughs> yeah, it's, it's like yeah. yeah <laughs> if you, if you like giving me a hard time, you have something in common with Lyle. <laughs> um. But, oh, dude, Johanna's the best. She's she goes to our church and she listens to the show like almost every day, and she's like quoting things that we said back to me on you know when i see her uh, on a saturday morning it's just it's awesome uh but let's have another clue for the quiz who am i now johanna if you're listening you have to win this you have to you have to get these clues right because we we need these books to come to our church so that we can make more of this vegan food right um i issued a decree forbidding to pray to any god or man except for me for 30 days so this person issued a decree that everyone had to pray to him uh, for, and worship him for 30 days. If you know who this is, 0491-064-669 is the number to call or text. If you get it correct, if you know who this is, if you know what the answer is, you will go in the draw to win the Revive Cafe Cookbook number 5 and 6. Now, let's have a look at some more recipes here. Um, you can make mini pumpkin fritters. And let's have a look. Spicy Moroccan tomato sauce. I just picked that was a, yeah, that's like a main meal and then just like a sauce on the side. So if you want to know how to make those two things, 0491 is the number to call. Go
0: into the drawer. Okay. Fantastic stuff. Give us a call right now. All right. Heading to the United States, we said we'd look at some research. And, of course, there's a lot more research comes out of the U.S. than Australia when it comes to Christianity, but it's always interesting to see what Christianity looks like. This was a poll by the Cultural Research Centre at Arizona Christian University uh, that they did to look at churches that are multi-ethnic. Now, Mm. Lawson, you and I would think this would be a very weird kind of poll to do, particularly if you were, say, for instance, living in Sydney but Ah. even living in Newcastle. I mean, how many churches are not? Multi ethnic,
1: uh, like, no, no, I don't know, no. <laughs> I don't know of any. <laughs> like,
0: my church is like, like I'm a minority. Yes, you're white Aussies, you're a minority. <laughs> yeah, yeah, absolutely. Okay, so mixed race congregations comprise only 16% of churches in the United States. I find I mean, that really, I find that kind of weird to be honest. I do find that weird, uh, because I've been in many st- churches in the States and I would I, I just did not expect that. Mm. Having said that, um, up in you know, Northwoods, Wisconsin, where my wife comes from, where the congregations are fairly small. Yeah, maybe. Mm. Maybe I sort of look back on it and go, yeah, okay, I, 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 I can see that. But having come from Sydney, you know, I was uh, pastoring a church in Sydney and what do we have, 55 people and 22, I think it was, different languages wow. spoken within that church. Wow. Well, actually,
1: in- interestingly, like... Uh, so we, I'm a part of the Newcastle University, uh, Adventist church at Newcastle University. And I had a guy come along this week, a guy that I've been studying the Bible with, and he's come to our church and he attends uh, another church on campus and uh, that is like big. It's, it's like, it's just called Uni Church and it's a bit bigger than our church. And he was like, Oh, yeah, it's like majority white people. He was actually surprised. He's, he's like an Asian dude from Sydney and he was like, Wow, so many international people come to your church
0: <laughs> because I think I mean, I, it's an Evanist thing. Yeah,
1: like, yeah. Just, I can, I can maybe because I'm thinking like, dude, Uni's like the most international place in Newcastle, like. Wouldn't every group, every church, well, I know that every single one that I have attended, any group, any church, any sports thing, it's just full of people from all over the place. Yes. But it seems as though, in some church context, it attracts
0: yeah, it white is, people. It's it it kind what of like seeing. that. Well, in the United States, it's definitely like that. So, uh, uh, let me see, 67% are predominantly white, 10% are predominantly black, 4% are predominantly Hispanic. And this is interesting because 60 years ago, you had uh, Martin Luther King who... Uh, stated that Sunday 11am was the most segregated hour of the week. Wow! And this is a blot on Christianity. This yeah. is a shame on Christianity. This is a this is something where you know where we have you know particularly in the United States. I wouldn't actually say this in Australia to be honest, because I yeah. just don't see it. I just mm. don't see it. Uh, I, I've, I've never you know, in, in, in
1: Australia more existed outside of the church.
0: Well in Australia it exists if you've got segregation it exists because of language not race. Mm.
1: But I, if I if we think back to like the you know the 1940s or whatever or like you know the like aboriginals not being allowed into like businesses and pubs and that kind of thing that kind of segregation um, but within the church it was like that's the place where a lot of those communities actually sought refuge.
0: That's right. Absolutely. Where,
1: where they were provided support and care was yes. by Christians. But in the United States, it's a different story, unfortunately.
0: So 16% uh, multi-ethnic. That was 4% back in 98, 12% in 2012, so it's increasing. That's positive, but incredibly slowly. While we're looking Mm. at uh, statistics, uh, this is uh, research in relationship to the United States' support for Israel. Oh, this is... And I always find this to be the weirdest kind of thing. Yeah. Uh, Americans are so fixated on their support for Israel. But anyway... Uh, and, and it came about as a result of 12 Republican senators who sent a letter to the Secretary of State, Anthony, uh Blinken, asking him to rescind $1 billion in grants the state government was giving to anti-Israel NGOs, non-government, mm. non-government organisations. And so I don't know what those organisations are, so I can't pass judgement on whether this was a good idea or a bad idea or otherwise. Mm. Uh, They're probably doing a good thing, but I have no idea. Mm. Anyway, so they did some research. They surveyed 10,441 US adults. Mm -hmm. So that's a decent-sized survey. They found that 78% of Republicans uh, are supportive of Israel, only 60% of Democrats.
1: But it's a majority of both.
0: It is. Oh, absolutely. Are are all these people Christians? That's my question. Well, when you look at Christians, white evangelicals, it's 86%. Yeah. So that's a massive number. And amongst, um, you know, once again, this is the weird thing. Whenever you have research come out of the United States, it's always white, black, and Hispanic. Mm. You will never see that kind of research in Australia.
1: Mm. That will never happen. It's impossible. It's impossible to do.
0: And it's against our culture to do it that way anyway. Uh, But, yeah, okay, so we've got 86% of white evangelicals, 58% of black Protestants. Um, And so, yeah, these are some some interesting stats that have come out here. 70% of white evangelicals believe that God gave the land of Israel to the Jewish people, so it belongs to them uh, by God. That's a pretty big stretch from the Bible. There'd be a lot of Bible passages you could look at, particularly in the New Testament and the pronouncements of Jesus, that would state things like, you know, God will take the kingdom from you and Mm. give it to a kingdom bringing forth the fruits thereof. Yeah, wow. You know, this land is no longer yours uh, because, you know, of your rejection of the gospel message. Mm-hmm. Uh, Evangelicals scored lowest in their estimation of Palestinians. Now, this is once again. So only 37% felt warmly towards Palestinians. I I find this one very fascinating because you've got your three Abrahamic religions. Mm -hmm. Why is it that we feel so much closer to Jewish people or the Jewish religion than to Christianity as Christians? Because what a lot of people forget is that you know Palestine was eleven percent Christian. Mm. It no longer is because a lot of the Christians have you know moved out of Palestine. They've fled. Um, they've gone to Israel or they've gone to other parts of the world. There's been a, an exodus of Christians from Palestine. Mm. But you go you go over into the West Bank and there's Christian churches everywhere. Mm. You've got Christian tour guides. You've got people speaking about the gospel. You don't get that while you're travelling around Israel. Mm-hmm. And then. We say, well, you know, we've got more in common with Jewish people than we do with Islamic people because, you know, Jewish people, we share the Old Testament with them. Mm. But with Islamic people, we share the Old Testament and the New Testament. Mm. And with Islamic people, we share Jesus Christ. Now, we might view Jesus differently,
2: mm-hmm.
0: but at least with Islamic people, we both agree that Jesus was a positive person doing good things and saying good things. And that he's coming back soon. And that he's coming back soon. We both yeah. agree on that. So I'm sort of thinking we probably actually have more to more to agree with than, with Islam than Judaism. I, I don't know. I'd like to hear your thoughts on this. I totally agree. Um, 0491064669 is the number to call. Why is there this blind allegiance to Israel? You know, of course we understand that it comes from uh, futuristic uh, – Bible interpretation. Yeah, eschatology, Bible interpretation, and uh, it's controlling U.S. foreign policy. And to be honest, it's a little bit scary. You're listening to The Breakfast Show podcast on Faith FM, positively different. This is The Breakfast Show, time for the third clue
1: for our quiz. I had falsely accused Daniel, along with their wives and children, huh? Oh no 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 sorry sorry sorry. I had those who falsely accused Daniel along with their wives and children thrown into a lion's den. There we go. Zero four nine one zero six four six six nine. If you know who did this, who who threw Daniel in a lion's den? It's getting pretty. Pretty easy quickly. Yeah, yeah. Quick. We're, we're, we're getting to, this is a famous person. 0491-064-669. And you can go in the running to win editions five and six, not editions, sorry, volumes five and six of the Revive Cafe Cookbook. Let's, let's choose two more recipes that you can make here. Um, you will be able to make, uh, velvet brownie slice. Vegan.
0: Okay. Vegan right.
1: velvet right. brownie slice. Now. Okay. That's and just... hearty dark legume soup. You can stop reading right now. It's, guys, That's you just... need this. You need, please. Velvet brownie. Velvet just... brownie, brownie slice. 0491 064 Make sure you say, May I enter the quiz? Who threw Daniel? Okay, so I'm going to give some extra bragging
0: rights for this one. Ah. Uh-huh. Because there are two people in the Bible with the same name. Ah. Uh-huh. All right, so you get extra bragging rights because both of the people in the Bible have a the name followed by a the, mm-hmm. all right? If you can give me the name followed by the the and then the what, mm-hmm. you know, this person <laughs> the what, you know, because like, for instance, <laughs> I'll give you an example. Alexander, <laughs> Alexander, is not Alexander. Alexander the Great. Wow, making this so confusing. Okay, but here Alexander has a the after his name. He has Alexander the Great. Uh. Uh-huh. So this person has a the after their name.
1: mm mm-hmm. Mhm.
0: And the other person who has the same name also has a the after their name. Mhm. So well, can tell that me was that was Lyle the silly and you're listening to The Breakfast Show zero four
1: nine one zero six four six six nine. and we have Dave, come this to on our- awesome, the
0: ignorant. <laughs> We have come to our interview for today. We have indeed. And joining us on the phone this morning is Rika Karamanchi. Karamanchi? Rika, have I pronounced your name, if anything, like close to correct?
2: <laughs> that's correct,
0: Ryan. Oh, that, that's good. I was a little bit, <laughs> a little bit worried right there. And um, and you're going to share with us your journey of faith. Um, Rika, I'm just wondering, whereabouts, what part of the world do you originally come from?
2: I come from India.
0: Mm. Okay, yeah. Whereabouts, yeah, so- whereabouts in India? What part of India?
2: Uh, it's a part of South, South India. I'm not sure if you have heard of Hyderabad. Yes, So, yes. yeah, that's my hometown, so I ah, come from Hyderabad.
0: From Hyderabad. Okay, so you come from Hyder- Hyderabad. Growing up in India, you know, when we think of India, we think of, you know, a, well, a number of different religions there. We've got, you know, predominantly Hindu. We've got uh, some Islamic people that live there. We've got some Christian people that live there um, and some other faiths as well. What was your family like? Was your family a spiritual family?
2: I grew up in a strong Hindu family. So I come from a Hindu family. Yeah,
0: okay. And at some particular point, you've come in contact with Christianity. Was that in India, or was that because you you start to travel the world and you've gone lived in some different places? Uh, when do you first come in contact with Christianity?
2: So this was in um, like twenty years ago when I went to United States to study uh, my interior design course, and that's where I was working in a cafe and I met. Uh, Young Adventist couple, so that's where my life completely changed. Mm.
0: Okay, so you yeah. meet you meet a Christian couple there while you're studying in the United States. Yeah, for for someone coming from a Hindu background, help us help us understand. Um, uh, what are what are the challenges that it takes? I mean, you you've got this faith that you've grown up with that you've practiced your entire life, and you mentioned that you know your family are not sort of like you know secular Hindus or something like that your family is a devout family yes is the idea of you know changing not just changing denominations within a religion but actually completely changing religion that sounds like a very radical idea how confronting was this for you at the time
2: yes so as you have mentioned before like uh growing up in india i had friends from different religions like islam and christian so I really respected other religions as well, so I have, like, exposure of those religions. But when it comes to myself, you know, I would never, ever thought of, like, converting myself because I was a very strong uh, Hindu believer in God, and uh, I was a devout of one of the gods called Hanuman. So I was was really into uh, Hinduism and worshipping Hindu gods. So um, this was where my life changed when I had, several challenges in the United States and well, because I was on a student visa and I was having a great difficulty uh, getting my visa extended. So my friends actually, um, you know, they invited me to their home, their church, and they gave me the Bible. Of course, I was never interested in reading the Bible. So just for, you know, uh, being respectful, I just took the Bible and kept it in my uh, apartment. Uh, but, you know, when I had this challenge of not getting my visa extended – I was praying to all my gods. I was praying to all my Hindu gods. And, how, how many,
0: how many, if I could just jump in there, how many, how <laughs> many Hindu gods are there?
2: Oh, there are so many millions of gods. And particularly myself, I pray like you, uh, uh, like one God was very particular who was Hanuman God. Mm. And yeah, I prayed. I prayed and prayed and I, I didn't, I was not getting any answer. I was not getting any help. Uh, so I was desperate for help. I really needed to extend my visa. So, uh, and the uh, immigration, they just gave me like 10 days to return back to India without completion of my course, and that was very disappointing. So, when I went back to my apartment, I just remembered my friends gave me the Bible, and I thought that was my only hope, and I just picked it up and started reading the book of Psalms. As I told you, I have never read a Bible, but I really do not know why I opened the book of Psalms.
0: Maybe because it was in the middle.
2: (laughs) I don't know. But But It is is unusual to
0: start reading a book from the middle.
2: (laughs) Exactly. Either you read from the beginning or, you know, but yeah, I I just really don't know. So that's really a miracle. Yeah.
0: Okay, so how did it impact you? You're reading the book of Psalms. Um, How does that Mm -hmm. impact you as a Hindu person? Is this vastly different from what you would read in in Hindu sacred texts?
2: Absolutely. It was very different, but it was so personal. Like the verses which I was reading, it was talking about me. It was so personal. And that's where it really caught my attention and I continued to keep reading. And it was like God is going to help me, you know. This Mm. God is going to help me. So I found that hope while I was reading. So, and one of the words which I was reading was Psalms 81 verse 9. You shall not worship any strange God. And that just blew me away. Because, you know, in Hinduism, like all you know, the other religions, people actually respect other religions. They, they respect other gods, you know. But here, this God is saying you shall not worship any strange god." And that was like okay, <laughs> yeah. That was really strong for me. Mm, mm. How
0: long were you reading the Bible before you actually decided to consider oh, becoming a I, Christian? I,
2: I that whole night I was just reading Book of Psalms the whole night.
0: A whole I night. Was praying
2: the whole night. It was like my first wow. night of prayer without even my knowledge about prayer or about. About Jesus or anything, and yeah.
0: And what was the what was the outcome of that prayer, and and that night of prayer and and reading the Bible?
2: So I read this book of Psalms, and I was like, I uh, went back to my college without, of course, no hope. I read, I read uh, the Bible. I prayed to this God, but I still had no hope, and I went back to the school. This is just amazing. That uh, the day before. The immigration, my college actually called the immigration department and they said, there's no way that we can extend her visa. She has to go back. The next morning, when I went back to my school, my uh, the, the, the staff came to me and said, my visa was extended.
0: Oh, wow. wow. <laughs> that is absolutely amazing.
2: Who is this God who heard my prayer that night? Yes. And who is this God who saw me cry that night. So that was just amazing experience for me.
0: So where did your life go from there? Is this, did you begin to attend church regularly? Did you go to Bible studies? Did you get baptized? Tell <laughs> us about, you know, because you've made a start here with, with Christianity. You've made a start with reading the Bible. Where does it go to from here?
2: Of course not. I was not so emotional after that. I was really happy that, you know, this God heard my prayers. But I still had a lot of questions. I really wanted to know if this God is the real God and the Bible is really true. And Mm -hmm. I had a lot of questions in my mind. And as I was journeying through, God was really revealing, like, the answers one after the other. So that was really incredible for me. And it actually took three years for me to really all get all the answers which I was looking for. And, yeah.
0: Well, and that's not, a, that's not necessarily a bad thing, you know, particularly when you know, from where you're coming from and so forth. I think it's really important that people, you know, really thoroughly investigate um, the, 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 the deep questions because then when you make that full commitment, it's a much stronger commitment. Exactly. How long, how long did you live in the United States for and was there a period when you went back to India and, and how did that go for you when you went, when, when you went back?
2: Yeah, so uh, I lived there about four years. So, all these four years, you know, I I was really investigating more, and and I came to a point where I really wanted to give my life to Jesus. And just before going back to India, this was, I did not even tell my parents or my family, none of them. I really wanted to commit my life to God. And that was the last Sabbath before I flew to India. And um, I just wanted to get baptized. And I told my friends, friends, just get me baptized as soon as possible before I fly off and and guess what that Sabbath was like heavy snowstorm there and none of the churches were opened so basically the churches were closed and I was like I wanted to get baptized immediately so my friends actually drove me around and we found one church they just opened for my baptism and we went there and, and they baptized me there so that oh, was
0: incredible! Wow. Fantastic. <laughs> what, what part of America was this? I mean, with that amount of snow, it must have been somewhere up north.
2: Yeah, I lived in Ohio. Okay. Of Ohio. Yes.
0: Yeah. 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 Plenty of snow up there on, on, some, on mm-hmm. some occasions. And praise God for that church that opened up and 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 and, uh, <laughs> and let you get baptized that day. I think Absolutely. that uh, any church should be prepared to do that um, quickly. So then you head back to India. How does that go for you? How does your family react when you go back to India?
2: Well, uh, I kept it as a secret because I was very afraid to expose my new belief because I don't want them to think that you know I'm uh, I have adapted the western religion because this is what uh, in India people think that Christianity is like a western religion <laughs> and uh, I was influenced by wrong friends or something like that so I didn't want to expose that and I kept it a secret for about like almost 10 years oh. but it came to a point yes, where God you know could not keep. Let me keep it secret.
0: Yes, and I know it, was that? Hard, I mean, was that hard on your Christian experience with your relationship with Jesus?
2: It was very hard because I was playing like two two different lives. You know, at home I was like a, at at home or at friends in the family I was like a Hindu, and I still went to church on Saturdays. I still I still went to uh, you know gather with my Christian friends, and I continued that. But it was like two different lives. And it was extremely difficult, mm,
0: I imagine it would be okay, mm-hmm. so um you mentioned that you know ten years later you you i i guess come out to your family and it's like okay, I've become a Christian
2: <laughs> no, it was not like that okay. <laughs> so i was I was really praying God, I can't do this anymore i need i need I need to really live like a proper Christian life. I really wanted that, mm. so this happened when uh, my husband, actually, he met with a, a tragic road accident uh, when we went to visit India for a holiday. Okay, and so,
0: wait, 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 whereabouts, so you've, you've left India by this point, you living somewhere no, else? No, we,
2: okay. we, we were living in Singapore, uh, okay. after we got married, we were living in Singapore for about 10 years. Okay. And yeah, we went to India for a holiday and that's where my husband met with a road accident. So sorry. Yeah, so it was very high because um, the the doctor said uh, he had only 10% chances of survival. And he met with a really uh, bad uh, head injury. Mm -hmm. And there were like a lot of history like broken ribs and uh, his like multiple clots bleeding in his brain. And uh, yeah, a lot of of things like he might get paralyzed, he might not walk, talk, and a big list of things the doctors were telling me that he could not do. And I, at that time, and the doctor took me and said, "We are trying our best, but there's only uh, one hope that only God can help him. Only God can, uh, yeah, bring him through this uh, tragedy." And so, at that point, I was like, um, "I, I was not a secret Christian anymore." You know, mm. I just took out my Bible in the hospital, right in front of his hospital bed I was I knelt and prayed in front of everyone I could not keep it secret anymore no, yeah. and I was just trying for God to help my husband to heal him and yeah at the time and everybody <laughs> came to know that I was actually a Christian <laughs>
0: yeah, yeah okay so that is very different from what I was expecting you to say about how you uh, came out to your family what 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 was the result what happened with your with your, with your husband
2: So after that, uh, after like one week, he was in ICU and uh, two weeks, like he was recovering and there were no broken bones. Actually, there was no surgery done. There were no broken bones. And he was walking. He was talking. He was recognizing. He could remember everything and he could recognize all of us. And that was really a great miracle. Even doctors and my family, everyone were like surprised and shocked that, to see him recover that way, so it was incredible, like a life-changing miracle for all of us in our family.
0: Yeah, praise God! That's what a what an amazing story. And when you when you look back on this story, and your family, of course, they now know that you're a Christian because you can't hide that any longer. No um, longer. Has, did that story, did that experience, have an effect on any of the other members of your family? Did they start to look at Christianity, consider Christianity?
2: Definitely. So after, after my husband recovered, because I kind of made a deal with God, God, um, I will remove all the Hindu idols from my home again, you know, I would never, I did not really worship, you know, but I, they were, they were in my life. So wow. I, I prayed to God, God, I would never have my, uh, those idols, Hindu idols again in my, in my house. So after that, this was like a big impact. On my mother, because my mother was living with us. So it was very hard for when I told her to remove all the idols. It was very hard for her and for my husband. It was, yeah, it was very difficult. And we, we removed the idols from our house. And since then, we never worshiped those gods again. Because I told them, you know, this is, this is what I prayed to God. This God, He is the one and only true living God. There is no other strange God. There is no other God other than him. Hmm. I know it's hard for them to take it, but, you know, but as the time went through, they, my mother especially was watching me pray, watching me read the Bible, watching me go to church. And it's the power of the Holy Spirit, how it impacted her life. And now she's a believer. Oh, praise God. Wow. Now she's a believer. Praise she got God. baptized. Recently she got baptized.
0: Mm-hmm. That's it's amazing. Incredible. That's that's that, that is absolutely incredible. In this process of getting rid of the idols out of your home, you know, I've I've, you know, obviously worked with many people who have gone through a similar experience and the devil doesn't give up easily. Did the devil try and give you a hard time for getting rid of these idols? Was there any experiences where Satan just came along and really created havoc?
2: There were a lot of challenges, of course, and uh, uh especially um, you know, My sister, I had one younger sister who actually died uh, when she was in India. And um, uh, because in Hinduism, of course, you know that uh, we believe like in reincarnation and spiritualism Mm. and uh, most of my family, they all believe that uh, she, she, her spirit is still alive. And, you know, when I learned in the Bible that um, dead know nothing, you know? Yes. That was powerful. That was really shocking for me when I learned that. Because I was always in an impression that, you know, my sister is still alive. Her spirit is still alive. And, uh, yeah, so we, I always believed that. And when I read this in the Bible, it was, it was really shocking because I knew that uh, there are some Christians who always uh, believe that uh, Christians, I mean, uh, the dead people go to heaven or hell, and the Bible doesn't teach that. And that was that was really uh, like eye opening for me. So when I learned that, I knew that my sister is not alive; she's she's sleeping, and um, you know, the devil actually tries to impersonate the dead people. You know and and in India, like my family believes that her spirit is still alive and people uh, thought that uh, her spirit was still alive in that house where we lived. And uh, you know one night when I was sleeping, I had this it's, I had this vision where actually I saw the devil in my house in India. I had a very clear vision of the devil in my house in India. And when I saw that, in my sleep, of course, I was just shouting and screaming, uh, saying that, in the name of Jesus, get out of my house. Mm -hmm. I clearly knew I was speaking those words, but I felt like somebody tightening my mouth.
0: Yes. Yes.
2: And. Uh, when I woke up next morning, because I was very scared that, you know, because my my husband was sleeping next to me, I was very scared that I would, he must have thought that I was like a Christian fanatic or something, calling the name of Jesus in the middle of the night. And I, when I asked him, like, did you hear me scream? He said, yeah, of course, I heard you scream, but I really did not know what you were screaming about. I was like, praise God, he did not hear what I was saying. So anyways, after that, um, after that, uh, you know, uh, that incident, people realized that there was no spirit in that house anymore.
0: Mm, Praise God.
2: That was, that was like, I, I really could not believe myself that, that dream was really true. You know, in the name of Jesus, I saw like in the vision when I was saying that I saw the devil was so agitated, you know, Mm, mm. and, In the name of Jesus, I saw the devil tremble. So that was like really incredible.
0: That is is, is powerful. That is absolutely powerful. Yeah. Yeah. Rika, unfortunately, we are out of time right now. Uh, We're going to have to move on with the show. But thank you so much for coming on and sharing your story with us. I'm sure there's a lot more of that story that we haven't heard yet. But uh, we do need to go to the news because that's that time of the day. But thank you so much for joining us here on The Breakfast Show. Thanks for being a part of the Faith FM family. Join
2: our community on Facebook or get in touch at 1-800-FAITH-FM.